Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. Welcome to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Thank you for joining the Purpose Driven Sobriety podcast. My name is Christine and I'm an alcoholic. Um, I would like to thank today's sponsor, um, Carlisle Realty here in the Central Texas area. If you are in the market to buy or sell a home, um, reach out to Carlisle Realty. They are um, amazing, amazing individuals. Uh, Sydney Carlisle, thank you so much for your support. Um, and so today we have on the show Miss Leah Kay. Um, and Leah, you are out of Rhode Island, correct? Indeed, I am. Awesome, yes. awesome, awesome. Well, on the show, what we do is just like in meetings, we share our experience, strength, and hope. And um, you, uh, I met Leah in one of the recovery pages on Facebook, which again, I say this, it seems like almost every show, there are some great resources um, online, just there, the same way there is in in um, uh, in-person meetings, you kind of got to try them on and see if they fit. And the same thing with online. So, you know, you can get a lot of ex uh, experience, strength, and hope from um, some of the support groups and recovery pages on Facebook. So, Leah, without further ado, I'm going to give you uh, the floor. And so you, maybe you could share with us what it was like, what happened, and what you're like now. Sure, I will. So I'll certainly give it a shot. Awesome. <laughs> it's, a, awesome. it's a loaded question, indeed. <laughs> um, I, so, you know, growing up and stuff, I was raised in Indiana. So, you know, I was a country girl and small town kind of vibes. Um, you know, it was never an issue growing up um, as far as, you know, substance use or any of that. Um, and I moved out to... Rhode Island um, to live with a family friend while I started school in Boston. And I ended up um, getting into an accident with a driver who was under the influence. Mm. Um, very unexpected. Uh, of course, it was literally, you know, seconds within seconds, my whole life changed. Um, and I think part of this, too, that I do want to mention, because, you know, in the work I've done on myself over the years, I've recognized that uh, I lost my father um, about six weeks after I graduated from high school. Mm. Um, and that, I believe, also played a role deep down. It was something that I I believe, you know, I was still grieving in a lot of ways. I still am. You know, you still when you lose a parent, it's something that you don't quite get over. Sure. Um, but so after the accident, um, and this is, you know, just to put it into perspective, this was in the winter of 2020, or, uh, excuse me, the winter, of, the winter of 2002, I'm so used to saying 2020. <laughs> um, and, you know, so oxys were new, and they were really, you know, being kind of pushed by doctors. My lawyer had sent me to one of those special pain doctors. Mm. 
And before I knew it, um, I was being prescribed about a month's worth of oxys about every seven to 10 days. And, you know, I'm somebody who I had no experience. I had no idea about withdrawal. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And I also didn't take as many as I was even prescribed. Um, but very quickly, you know, within a couple of months, uh, I noticed that I was depending mm. that my day was like, oh, I have to take this when I get up. Oh, I need this. I have to take this medication to do my daily life, you know, to go to school, to work, whatever it was, I was still trying to function. And I functioned for a while. Um, and then it turned into, you know, you get to that point with it with like, you know, when my case with the with the driver got to a certain point, they started cutting back on things. And however, my addiction, um, my dependence, um, you know, was was very much still strong. And I ended up, you know, starting to reach out to friends um, and asking for for more pills and looking for things on the street, so to speak. Um, that turned into eventually um, using heroin. Uh, again, not expected um, something. It was just the natural progression of it uh, where things landed and, you know, things went downhill pretty quickly. Um, I still tried to continue, you know, working and going to school. I was a, I was pretty functioning for for several years. I ended up taking some time off of school. Um, I was a college student at the time. Uh, I tried to, you know, go to detox and do the rehab thing for the first time. Um, I came and, you know, I had no experience. Uh, I tried to get involved with NA um, and I did okay for a while. I just wasn't ready. I don't think, uh -huh. um, you know, hindsight's 2020, of course, you don't know if you don't know, sure. but you know, so as time, you know, as time went on, you know, life was like that for the better part of a decade. It was me trying to hang on, trying to work, trying to go to school, um, trying to be the person I thought I should be. Um, you know, my addiction just kept going. I eventually became an IV heroin user. Um, and, you know, things really escalated, of course, uh, I, my life was just kind of messy. It got really messy. Um, you know, my relationships with my family, with my friends, with my work, you know, jobs came and went. Um, I did go back to school. I did finish my degree. Um, and I did that during a time that I was on, uh, methadone. Oh, I ended up getting involved with the criminal justice system. And I was one of the first people involved in Rhode Island's drug court. Um, and this was in 2007, eight. Um, and I asked for treatment. I asked for support. I wanted help. Um, and I was put on, I was actually court ordered onto methadone, which you don't really hear a lot. Um, I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know that I could have advocated differently, but it did being on methadone did allow me to, you know, go back to school. I got a job at the university of Rhode Island. I was functioning, you know, it ended up not being a great long-term solution for me. I was having issues with my lungs. I have really bad asthma 
and as methadone is an uh, opioid and it, and and it represses breathing it was really um it was not a good thing for me in the long run right but uh you know i did finish that that degree um but you know i ended up having several several return to uses i have had a lot of issues with the system um you know with being able to afford treatment to have access to treatment a big part of this too is also because i was in an accident with someone who was under the influence um that situation that was very traumatic for me and i had trouble getting behind the wheel of a car so i didn't have my license for many years um you know and that kept me from being able to access a lot of different um supports you know and to get to places on a daily basis um but so long story short <laughs> i'll try to you know kind of get to the good stuff because it gets good um you know, things were up and down for, for several years, but I'm going to fast forward to September of 2015. So this is several years later. Um, I had reached a point where, you know, I wanted help. I didn't want to be living the way I was living, quote unquote, living, because I wasn't living. I was surviving. Um, and I ended up going to, um, I had several overdoses. I know I'm leaving a lot of stuff out. Um, I've literally had so many overdoses. I cannot tell you how many I've had. I have woken up on the floor many times. I've woken up in hospitals many times. I've woken up in the back of ambulances many times. It's very scary. But what's tricky about an overdose is that when you experience an overdose, at least for me and pretty much everybody I've ever talked to who's had an opioid overdose, you don't remember it. Just one minute you're going to use your drug of choice or you've used your drug and you're living your life. And then you wake up somewhere. You're either in a hospital, people standing over you, or you just wake up on the floor like I have many times. Um, but so I had one of those occurrences and I ended up going to a local hospital. And they moved me over to the psychiatric ward for just, you know, just to be monitored. And a gentleman walked up to my bedside and he said to me, you know, to like a synopsis of it was basically like, if I can get you into treatment today, will you go? If I can get you a bed, will you go? I said, absolutely. hundred percent. And he advocated for me. He found a spot for me and I went to treatment that day. So I went to detox and I was there for maybe a week and a half and I refused to go home. I said, this time I'm not going home. This time, put me somewhere safe. If I go back to that same environment, I'm going to go right back to what I was doing. I need to change what I'm doing. Wow. I need to change my habits. And I did. And I stayed in like a, it was kind of like a crisis stabilization unit, I think they call it. So I stayed there for about a week until my bed opened up in a, um, it was a 90 day women's treatment center inpatient. So I stayed in that crisis stabilization. My mom came and picked me up. I'm starting to get emotional. Sorry. Just the fact that, let's pause there then, yeah. Leah, just the fact yeah. that you came to that awareness that if, yeah. if I go home, 
I'm gonna die. I, I you know, I, I think. I mean, you. I think you articulated it that I'll go back to that life, you, you, which you knew was leading you to death. The fact that you—that's just amazing to me. That's amazing to me that you, um, you had that, and it's to me. And I know that you know that now. That gift of desperation to me is beautiful. Yeah, I Do mean, you know definitely. What I mean? I had tried many times, like I'm leaving a lot of stuff out for the sake of time, you know. Um, I had been through detox many times. I had been to intensive outpatient programs. I had been to so many NA and AA meetings. I can't even tell you. I had tried smart recovery. I tried different things. And part of this too, for me, I know was that I deal with chronic pain. When I was in that car accident, um, it caused permanent damage to my spine and I have neuropathy and dealing with that, like you need pain management. And I'm also not a small person and I've never been a small person, just who I am, genetics and what have you. Um, you know, I've tried yoga's help through the years, different things, but like I was self-medicating for so many things, pain, like physical pain, mental pain, the grief of losing my father, you know, relationships. I, I had a marriage that ended in 2009. You know, there were things that had happened that I didn't have the coping skills in place. And I was medicating, trying to deal with it, for lack of a better word. But when that gentleman came to me, I was in such a place. Um, and I knew that I could be sober. I knew that I could lead an abstinence-based life, or I could go back on some sort of medication-assisted treatment. It had worked for me before. I had, and I was, it was like I was looking through the keyhole at a life that I wanted. And I saw light through the keyhole, you know, and it was like he had that key and he was like, let's go. And I did it. And I started to get emotional because I was thinking about, you know, my mom. She came to uh, to pick me up that day to go to that treatment program. And it's just that, you know, um, my mom's been by my side through a lot. And, um, you know, since then, I've went on to support other families. And I work as a peer recovery specialist now and a community health worker, an addictions professional. I'm a trainer. I do, you know, whatever I can. I just... Uh, um, families and what what they go through trying to support their loved one. It's so difficult. I've given my mother trauma. She was just there for me. She still is, thankfully, you know. But it just, you know, it just hits me. Sure. I think some of that is, you know, guilt and shame and things that I'm still working through, of course. Right, right. But so I went to that 90 day treatment program and I lived with um, 15 other women, which was so much fun. Ooh, fireworks. <laughs> oh boy, drama and all kinds of fun stuff. But also some of those girls, you know, um, I still keep in touch with a, with a couple of them, but I'm going to be honest here. A lot of them aren't with us anymore. Mm-hmm. Just after I left that treatment program in December of 2015, my my uh, my abstinence date, my recovery date, my my rebirth date, whatever you want to call it, is September 26, 2015. That was the last time I had found it necessary, you know, to to use a substance. 
that, you know, to self-medicate, um, that it was my drug of choice and I haven't found a necessary sense. Um, but just after I left that treatment program in December, um, I think it was early January, maybe even late January, regardless, I, a friend of mine who I had lived in that treatment center with passed away. She had overdosed. She picked up one time once and she was gone and her daughter found her. Oh, wow. And it was just a horrible situation. And I'll also share that that's the last funeral I went to because I walked in there and I saw her and she wasn't smiling. She wasn't, you know, her. And it's just really like, it was hard because we've lost, I think we've all lost a lot of friends and colleagues and, you know, people we met through the years. But I saw her lying there and um, almost fell to my knees. <laughs> and I turned around and I walked out into the parking lot. And I made a promise to myself that, you know, I didn't have to go back to a funeral if I didn't need to. And that it was okay. And that I could just remember these friends for who they were. Mm -hmm. And they would be okay with that, you know. So most of the girls I was in that treatment program with are no longer alive today. That's a really hard thing for me to talk about sometimes, but it's also a very harsh reality. Um, and I think it's something that a lot of us are dealing with right now. We've lost people. It's painful. I mean, I don't think, and maybe it's the circle um, that I associate with or the work that I do, but most everybody I know has been directly impacted. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's damn shame. So many be beautiful people, um, you know, kids growing up without their parents. There's lots of grandparents raising their grandkids. It's affected a lot of us. Um, well, I'll tell you, I, I just came from a, literally before we started, before I came to the studio to sit and talk with you, I came from a, an AA meeting and a, a guy announced that his son had just killed himself. You know, and it's just like the, yeah, this disease, man, it's, um, it's fucking wretched. It's, yes, it it's, it's, it, it, people just, oh man, you're right. It's, it's, um, the fact that we're survivors is, is just, uh, to me, it's a miracle to me. It's yeah. a miracle. So anyway, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, by all means. I, you know, I feel, I feel survivor's guilt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, know, like, mm -hmm. I, it hits me. It's like, why am I still here? I, by all means, I should not be. And that's a hard thing to kind of deal with, you know. I mean, how many times have horrible things happened, and I should have, by all means, been gone, and I'm still hanging in there. But I will tell you, the next part of my story was that I got out of that treatment program. I went home, kind of changed everything, you know, like who I was hanging out with. I jumped right into those meetings I had been going to when I was in treatment, and a AA, um tried different ones, went to smart recovery, Dharma recovery, different stuff. I just kind of immersed myself in it. Mm -hmm. You know, like I knew I needed to stay busy. I needed to stay involved with the people I had connected with. Um, you know, you just, <laughs> I was once told that there was only one thing I had to change if I wanted, I, I wanted to stay away from substances and that was everything. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, it's a big statement, but it's, it's true. 
So I changed how I spent my days. I gave myself things to look forward to by keeping a schedule, going to meetings every day and night. Um, and eventually, about a year later, I got a phone call from a friend of mine who I had met in meetings years back. And she offered me um, a chance to come to a training to, and I had no idea what this meant at all, bear in mind. <laughs> she said, we're offering this training over here where I work. I knew she was a, a recovery coach. And I thought that was really cool. And I had had a coach before. Um, and she said, well, we're doing this training and I'd love for you to join us. And I said, yeah, sure. I'll be there. It sounds great. Didn't really know what it meant, but you know, Hey, someone invited me to something cool. Sure. And I went to that, that training and I just fell in love with it. Um, you know, that idea of being able to give back to help others, you know, all this, like it, it gave me the perspective of all this stuff I had been through, like all the chaos and the drama, you know, in the hospital time and going to treatment programs and all this stuff I'd been through with the system, the judicial system, and, and you know, just trying to figure out how to, how to live, how to survive. I was going to be able to use that knowledge to help other people. And I thought, well, how cool is this? So I did that training and then I just kind of didn't stop, kept going to trainings. Um, I got an internship. I started um, interning with NAMI Rhode Island. Uh, NAMI is a National Alliance for, uh, for Mental Illness. I uh, became a facilitator of, a, of uh, recovery connection groups and got trained um, with their family to family program. Um, I then started uh, interning at Parent Support Network of Rhode Island, which they, um, I worked there for several years up until the pandemic, really. And um, they do work with, with families, helping the parents become educated about substance use and mental health. Um, they help uh, families navigate the system. You know, um, unfortunately, one of the side effects of using substances when you're a parent can be losing your uh, custody of your child. Mm -hmm. And I watched a lot of my, my friends as moms and dads go through that. And um, it's very painful. It's a very difficult process. The system puts you through a lot. You have to jump through a lot of hoops. Um, so being able to help families and you know, by educating them and being a parent partner. Um, I also, uh, which really this became my favorite thing to do. And it's something I'm still kind of doing. I became um, the manager of a workforce development program, helping others become trained and then certified as peer recovery specialists. And I love that so much, like watching people, you know, walk in the door, just like I did to come to this training and then to help them, you know, get internships, get placements, become certified, get jobs. <clears throat> and you watch their whole life come together. Like they just flourish. It's a beautiful thing. And I, I miss doing that work directly. I'm still doing some work with recovery friendly workplaces. Um, but that was really cool mm. because I had been through it myself, you know, so watching other people do that. Um, so, yeah, I, I did that for a while and the pandemic hit. And unfortunately, our funding uh, for the program I was working in was coming to an end. So um, it was time to move on. And so now, I mean, over the last few years, I've been doing all kinds of different work, um, everything from facilitating support groups, um, 
you know, working on different contracts, helping with, you know, like I said, uh, the, the, the recovery friendly workplace initiative. Um, I've also become pretty engaged in harm reduction. Mm -hmm. As someone who has led an abstinence-based recovery and came from a 12-step program, like all of it has been 12-step for me along the way. I initially became engaged with harm reduction because I was curious, like, how does this work? You know, like, how is it that, you know, my whole life it was pushed to to be abstinent, right? And then I started to learn about the public health approach and thought, well, how useful would it have been if when I was actively using, I had folks I could reach out to for safe supplies, that could talk to me about safer using practices, you know, that maybe could have kept me from some of the overdoses I experienced, you know, um, things like that. And and I think that's why I've become so engaged with, with different, um, you know, like syringe exchanges, um, just all of that kind of work, I think is so important. And it also allows for, I don't know about anybody else out there, <laughs> or, or, or you perhaps, but when I was using, when I was active, the majority of the time I used by myself, I was very isolated. Mm. You know, I hid things. Um, I, my family obviously knew I was, even when I wasn't living at home, it was pretty obvious, you know. Um, but I didn't have support. I didn't have people to talk to about actively using. Um and I feel that harm reduction opens the door for people to have someone to talk to well, when they're a, active. That's a big source of, of controversy, isn't it? People like I know that Narcan and and again, I, you know, alcohol was was my thing, um, yeah. um, you know, a drug by any other name. But there is there is a difference. And, and I was not um, a whole lot educated on um, the op opioids and, and the I mean, I've watched a, several of the the Netflix documentaries and just, um, golly, it's, yeah, it's staggering. Well, and, and what I was, what I was going to say, Leah, is, you know, the controversy of, you know, are, are, are you enabling? Are you, you know, and it's like, well, shit, they're going to be doing, you know, uh, addicts are going to do what addicts do until they reach whatever point it is that, that they get into recovery. Cause we know that, that when we're in addiction, it only ends one of two ways, period. There's no, there's yeah. no decorating that pretty. You're either, you're either right. on your way to death, which we're, you know what I mean? Or, or, or you get into recovery, but while they're actively using and you can't make someone stop that, you can at least make it a little safer for them. To where Absolutely. they do, you do reduce the harm that they're doing to themselves. So, yeah, yeah. I know that that's a, a, a big controversy, you know, putting vending machines with Narcan and stuff that that I've seen. You know, I, I don't have an opinion on on the those issues, but but it's one of those things that if it can save if it can save the life of an addict that can someday get into recovery and help others by God, it should be available. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I, you know, I think that's why I kind of preface with the idea that I came from 12 step. Mm -hmm. My own personal pathway is abstinence based. However, you know, it's, I think it's important that 
especially those that are so vulnerable. I mean, you and I both know when you're when you're actively immersed in whatever substance it may be, and you're, I mean, your day to day life is not fun. You're removed from from friends and and family and the good stuff in life, and it's it's hard to talk to anyone. Right. And I think with harm reduction, especially like in outreach work, it gives people an opportunity to connect with another human being who gets it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's so important in this world, just to have somebody to talk to about what's going on, how you're feeling. And, and, and like you said, safer use practices, make sure you have Narcan and also for families to have access to Narcan to get education. Um, about ways they can support their loved one. There are so many aspects to this. And I think that's how my, you know, along my path after I became a, a peer, um, you know, a peer, a peer recovery specialist, a community health worker, I just kind of, my mind opened to all these different pathways because I was meeting other people who weren't where I was. And I kept being told, you know, and I think this is really important. This is vital. We have to meet people where they are, mm-hmm. not so much where we want them. Um, we can hope that they'll get to a certain place, right? But how are they going to get there? And I know that despite how much it it hurt me to keep using, and I saw the pain it was causing, for example, my mom, um, and I saw how it damaged, um, you know, uh, relationships and friendships. I couldn't stop using until, I don't know, it was just a time and a place. I wanted to stop many times. I didn't want to live the life I was living. But, you know, it it also was a matter of being able to get a bed. I know a lot of people who are ready to stop and they struggle just getting into detox. They Mm -hmm. can't get a bed. Or there's insurance that's an issue. There's money that's a barrier. Transportation's a barrier. There's a lot to it. And I think I watched it happen in my case, and I watched it happen with many others, where certain things have to align almost. And I hope that makes sense in what I'm saying. But that mm-hmm. gentleman walking up to me and saying, Do you want help today? Will you, you know, will, will you go to detox if I can get you a bed? Yes. And he advocated for me and I got that bed. And I also had to learn how to advocate for myself, which was something that took time and experience to learn Um, that, you know, like, for example, me saying, I don't think I should go home. I'd like to stay somewhere until I can get a bed and treatment. Mm -hmm. I had to advocate for that. I had to ask for that. And I didn't know that my first time through or my second, (laughs) you know, it took a few times to learn these things that there were even options or that I could speak up for myself or that um, I could advocate for different medications I needed along the way. I think it's particularly difficult, especially sometimes when you're young or in my case, I had no prior experience. I wasn't, my father did drink. I was raised uh, you know, my mom, she's absolutely straight edge, which is why I say to her, I don't know how I'm your kid, <laughs> but I really am. She, she won't even take like a whole Tylenol. It's crazy. Wow. It's like to me, I'm like, Weirdo. how do you do? <laughs> I know, right? you mom? She doesn't drink. She doesn't smoke. Nothing. And here I am. Right. Yeah. But yep. I get it. I get it. 
but it's it's um we learn by going through trial and error being involved with the criminal justice system unfortunately um and just having gone through it that's how i learned how to speak up how what places to go who to call when to call um how to get a bed you, you know like you learn those things over time and i think that's also why peer support is so damn important i mean the fact that people with lived experience are there to help guide and mentor you through a system that is incredibly difficult to navigate they don't make it easy tons of hoops to jump through mm-hmm. i mean it's not as easy as just giving someone the name of a treatment center or a detox and a phone number or a website it's also about what time do i call you know who do i talk to you know where do i go from here it's not just going to detox it's all those next steps and understanding what options you have and what that looks like and what to expect um and just having support when you're you know going in and out of those places somebody to talk to um I I just I have found it such a valuable tool, not only for myself, but just watching other people engage with coaches and with and and with people who do peer support work. It's just incredible. I think it's such a wonderful life saving tool. I mean, we have folks, you know, we have psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists, social workers, everybody has their role in their place. But that lived experience piece is just so special it's it's a it's a tool that you learn that is crafted from years of hard work and you know not to sound cliche but you know blood sweat and tears you earn that just by going through it yourself and sharing that with other people i think at the end of the day that we are on this planet to support and love one another and I don't mean love each other romantically, but to, you know, to show kindness, to share our wisdom, to share our knowledge, and just to help each other through it. Well, and is there any other, is there any other feeling of, of getting knee to knee with, with another person that is, that is, has that gift of desperation and, and you make yourself and your experiences available to them? What is that experience like for you? I try to, when I share about my own stuff, so to speak, I make sure it's relative. I make sure that the person understands I'm not sharing to like one up them or to say, oh, my experience was da 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 da. I want them to know that I've been through some stuff too. And I'm like an example of, of, of that hope. And it's not just me, it's countless others who are doing this work, who have been through it. Being able to share your most vulnerable moments with another human being is a beautiful thing. And I think it's one of the most magical things about being human is when we can strip away that mask and just really be who we are and just talk like, you know, the nitty gritty, the real stuff, what it's really like being a human being on this planet and going through some of the suffering we go through. I don't think any of us wake up one day and say, you know what, I want to be addicted to substances. 
I want to, I want to be an alcoholic. Um, It happens in such a progressive way. We're just living our lives and doing our thing. And the next thing we know, like, I mean, either, you know, I don't know, you're in a car accident or you get into a, a fight or, you know, um, you lose a job or whatever it might be that happens. It opens your eyes. It could be a lot of things. And there you are. And in there begins the work. And for me, it was years of struggling and back and forth and going to meetings and doing step work and talking to sponsors and talking to people in my network, crying, journaling, listening to music, a lot of car rides, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like really digging deep. Um, And if I can share any of that with someone in a way that's going to make them feel supported and loved and worthy and not alone, I'm going to do it. And doesn't that shed a new light on the experiences that you had? You know know what I mean? I guess where I'm, where I'm leading with that Leah is, is the fact that, you know, speaking again, you know, when, when I do speak, I speak of just my own experiences, obviously, but I, I, to switch from victim mode, right? Do we know what I'm talking about when I say victim yeah. mode? Everybody did this to me, poor me, you know, I deserve this. And I, you know, the world owes me to what can I do for someone else? That yeah. there are no human words that can describe how that feels, how impact, how empowering and humble all at the same time that feels to be used to assist another human being out of that hold, to become so comfortable with your darkness that you're willing to march your ass right into someone else's to go, Hey, I know the way out of here. Let me show you. Can I help? Can I show you? Let me tell you what I did. Let me tell you how I, better yet, let me show you how I got out, you know, yeah. and, and, and to be able to be a vessel of, and I, I believe you used the word hope, which is, oh my God, girl, I, I had zero, I had zero hope of, I had hope, no hope for you. I had no hope for me. I had yep. no hope for my children. <laughs> I had no hope. Which is why I tried. Why are you singing? Why are you singing? Which is why I tried to kill myself with alcohol. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, um, I see that now. But but the when I can use that experience to to reach down into that darkness of someone else's darkness and let them see just a glimmer through that keyhole of light that you that you spoke about. Yeah, it made everything I went through worth it. It made Absolutely. it worth it. It made it worth I, it. I'm watching you talk and I'm looking at your shirt. Purpose driven. That's what I'm seeing from here, right? Sobriety, yeah. That's what it did for me. Mm-hmm. It gave me a purpose driven life. Mm-hmm. And that's what I try and do now. Like it brought purpose to me. I think I felt for so long like that self-medicating and trying to hide. Instead of going through it, I was trying to bury it. And it's not easy to go through the emotions we go through and the pain we go through. The human experience can be the most beautiful thing Mm -hmm. and the most terrible thing. Mm -hmm. But what really 
for me was like truly i keep using the word magical maybe it's because no, it, it is but we don't have words no i get magic. it girl i get it yes that purpose-driven life having a purpose my purpose has become helping others in whatever way i can mm -hmm. and if that means like you know i don't know even helping build a website for somebody's nonprofit or creating a graphic or sharing my story somewhere or sitting down having a coffee with someone i don't care what it is if what i have been through in some way shape or form will help another human being let's do it mm -hmm. it's what got me where i am today the support of others i would not be here today had others not cared about me had others not taken time to sit by my bedside and say hey do you want some help? Or, hey, how are you? Or, hey, I've been there. Yeah, hey, absolutely. I know exactly. The, the, you know, for, for my husband to go, yeah, I know how you feel. Bullshit. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. But, but when, when my sponsor, when, when she looked me in my eyes and said, I know exactly how that feels. I believed her. Yeah. I believed her her and and it's like for the first time it's i was i was able to hear truth and i didn't feel alone i wasn't the only one you know the 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 big book talks about you know we are survivors of the same shipwreck my husband can't know how i feel it's it, thank god for him he well i don't know because i'm i'm pretty grateful to be an alcoholic quite frankly um, I, I am, I am, I it's it. got me here talking to you. So I, yep. I'm, I'm pretty great. I'm pretty grateful that, that my life does have purpose. And, and there was, there was huge meaning in the, in the naming of this, of this podcast, purpose, purpose driven sobriety. I don't want to be sober. I don't want to be sober. I want to be in recovery, right? You take the alcohol away from me. I'll find something else to try to kill myself with. Oh Yeah. Right. Yep. But getting into yep. recovery and 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 changing, just like you, you talked about. And it also says in the book, we change we change our people, places and things. What we were doing before wasn't working. You have yep. to change everything because everything you were doing before was broken. So yeah. we do we do new things. And, you know, to have purpose driven sobriety is recovery. Absolutely. When you're when you're finding purpose in your sobriety, you know, or for your sobriety, that's recovery. And and it's it's just it's such a it's such a beautiful thing when two alcoholic addicts can sit down and and have that talk. There's you know, it's so funny because and I'm, I know you get this, too. Tell me that you don't. I you know where you'll you'll be talking to I've been calling them earthlings, you know, the, the, you you've been to, and people go, oh, my gosh, you're just so honest. Oh, I just love how you and it's like, why is that a compliment? Yeah, that's a, when did that become a compliment? <laughs> I mean, thank you. But I but, hope you're being honest with me too, right? Yeah. When yeah. did that become a compliment? It's it's so it's um it's one of those things that that it's like I feed on honesty now. You know, it's yeah. it, you know the the scales have been removed. Another big big book says that 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 will happen. That that you you're able to see things. You're able to see people. Although we're not technically a lot of people take people's inventory, um, but. <laughs> You can see the bullshit just dripping off yeah. of people, you know, and it's I like, think, you don't have to live like that anymore. I think you feel it too. Yes. Like that it gets energy. on you. 
It's icky. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, girl. Yes, it's true. It, that toxicity. But but again, you know, when when you it's just it is magical. It is yeah. magical when when you sit down and and I just I remember my sponsor when she started talking to me and I just I, it was it was just like angels were singing. It just was because I just thought I don't have to be alone. And the beautiful thing is, is for the rest of my existence on this planet, I don't have to be alone. I have a place to go anywhere in the world. I can find a meeting. I can find my people that will take the time to sit down and help me save my life if I get into a, you know, a situation. Yeah. I, you know, I think so many people in this world there are billions of people on this planet right this little spinning rock that we all live on mm -hmm. <laughs> and i think so many people despite there being billions of us and everywhere we look there's more feel so alone feel so different you know and that that terminal uniqueness i, I just hate it that people have to feel that way mm -hmm. like honestly I, and I said this a little while ago, or at least kind of tried to in that I feel we are here for each other and we should be here for each other where that, you know, you may be the main character in your own story. Sure. But when we reach out and connect with one another and we're supporting one another and we're building community, I don't know about everybody else, but I feel at my best. Mm hmm supporting someone else and i'm helping someone else and i i know i'm making a difference somehow your soul no is getting fed it is. yep absolutely yep. i'm like on top of the world it feels amazing and i i and that's partly really why i feel that we are here for each other and we should be here for each other you know reach out to someone who is sitting uh sitting alone or that you know if somebody walks by you and they're crying or you know in, in this day and age, too, with social media, I see so often these videos of people who are in, you know, they're 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 uh, been in an accident, they've been harmed in some way, or um, even the videos you see of people who are, you know, on the on the sidewalk and they're under the influence, and people are taking videos of them for oh, likes. Oh, that just—it's just awful to me. Why aren't you instead reaching out and asking how can I help you or mm -hmm. helping them get connected? The services in some way, or just sitting with them, bringing or just, them a call, or just you know what, just leave them the fuck alone, or, or that. Don't, yeah, right? don't, don't, yes, just what, there's no need to make money off of make other people's worse. Yes, <laughs> oh man, that oh girl, you touched on. I mean, a big Ooh. part of the reason that oh. I went through what I went through was because of, and I love to bring up this topic, but you know, big pharma. I was, you know, given oxycotton because my doctor had been told that it was safe, right? Mm -hmm. I wasn't warned in any way, shape, or form. I wasn't told, hey, this is addictive. I didn't even understand what that meant. No clue. Didn't know about opioid withdrawal. No idea. Um, and then we find out years later that this pharmaceutical company was, they they knew. They knew it was horribly addictive. Mm -hmm. They knew it was one molecule different than heroin. It just blows my mind. And I, they lied to us the whole time just to make money off of others' suffering. What is the name of oh, that gross. documentary? Do you remember? I'm going to Google Which it. one? There's Dope Sick. Oh, okay. Yep. Girl, name them so that people that are listening to the show, you better you better, <laughs> you better, better tune in and watch these shows. Get yourself educated. The, it, it, that blew my mind. The Pharmacist. Yeah. Have you watched The Pharmacist? 
I don't think I have. Girl, it's about the one a pharmacist. Oh, I think he lived in Louisiana. Oh, it's that. If that doesn't make you ragey and want to kick a puppy, don't do not email me. I'm not going to kick a puppy. You know what I mean. I'm just saying if that doesn't <laughs> no, make you, we love dogs. If that doesn't make you ragey, but there's that yeah. one pharmacist I can't remember his name. Shame on me. That that was in Louisiana. That um, the, there was a doctor in his town that yeah. was prescribing oxy. And her, it ended up her her uh, business hours were like from 10 p.m. until like 6 a.m. Nuts. And mm -hmm. it, yeah, it turns out the FDA knew that was it was just cra it's crazy. Anyway, tune. Yeah, yeah. there's painkiller. Painkillers were yes. one with Matthew Broderick, and that's a new uh, one, isn't it? He plays. Yep, that's the new one. He plays Matthew Broderick plays Richard Sackler. Mm. That was thing. I think that's the one I watched most recently. There's also an interesting spin on the whole thing. There's a new show on Netflix that's called The Fall of the House of Usher. And it doesn't directly say, and I'll keep it keep this in mind though, it doesn't say the Sackler family. They're the Usher family. Okay. But well. the whole premise of the show, and it's a little spooky, so it's Halloween-ish, right? But it's about a company or a family that has a pharmaceutical company. And and it kind of un unveils itself as the show goes on, of course. Mm -hmm. But it's it's sort of a spinoff on the Sacklers and how a family who's running a pharmaceutical company is like this dysfunctional, and you know how they're lying about the medications to the public, and it's really just about greed. Um, same it, song, different. Really yeah, same story. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Exactly. It it like when I really learned, I had like I said, I had no idea about opioids, opiates in general. When I learned what was really happening, or it started to come out, my mind was blown. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if I guess we're all kind of wired differently, but I I cannot bring direct harm to another human being. I just like. I have a really hard time with that. And the fact that anybody can sit back and lie to the public like that on such a large scale while, while they're knowing people like they're, they were very aware that people were dying. Well, like, and it went even further losing their husbands, their wives, their, their daughters, their sons. Yes. Horrible. It went even further than that. The drug, all the way to the drug reps, the, you know, the doctors, because yeah. you're a sweet doctor. I'm, I'm sure, you know, they're only as good as the information they're given at exactly. first. Yeah, yeah. But then it became um, that went that doctor that I was talking about the on the, the that show, the pharmacist, when the yeah. when they finally did something about her office, they found truckloads of prescriptions that were already signed by her all oh she had God. to do was fill in the the all they had to do is fill in the person's name that they were giving it so to so it was basically a yeah. pill mill yeah and it oh, oh absolutely God. and there were the the pharmacist would go by late at night with his wife and and you they've got video where I mean, he recorded he recorded everything it's really cool and i have to watch yes yeah. he, he, he would it. use his phone and, and they would drive by and he would record the line that was outside <laughs> of this office and but then he learned that you they had you could pay like a couple of hundred dollars extra yeah. to get a jump on the line Oh, of course. Oh, Why my not? gosh, girl. That just made me so, uh, I was so, I was like, how can you, yeah, I'm with you.
how can, how can it you close my mind yeah. too with mm. especially with medical providers i mean we see this happening in treatment programs too where there's people being trafficked or you know they put a they bring drugs into a facility and get the person caught up using they're so vulnerable and then they you know they end up using it against them and they traffic them there's all kinds of stuff that has gone taking advantage of families mm. you know they're where they are trying to get their loved one help and they're paying like eighty thousand a hundred thousand dollars to send their loved one to this place that promises them the world for their loved one and you know they're not even using evidence-based practices mm -hmm. they're not like they have like a half pardon me half-assed staff mm -hmm. um, you know it's it's really it's a bummer but unfortunately human beings uh some Again, I know we're all wired differently. It just boggles my mind. I think about this stuff all the time. Well, there's there's a special like, place in hell. How can for you people. do that? Yeah, there's a special place Oof. in hell for people like that. So tell for what money? Money. That's exactly is what it was. Be the root of it. Yeah, the root of the root of evil, I suppose. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. exactly the motivation. Yeah, because that, that that one show, the pharmacist ended with that that doctor. I don't know where she got the balls to actually come on that thing at the end of it. Um, wow. But she had been in some kind of a car Money. wreck. Yeah, well, she had been in some, some kind of a car wreck or something, and so she had to stop practicing. But she she made no apologies for her practices. Yeah, she just was. It was. Anyway, wow. Yeah, what it is. So tell me, how do you start your day every day? Well, I'm going to be honest. Lately, I have been working remote <laughs> since the beginning of the pandemic. Oh, wow. After. Yeah. So I'm home a lot. And um, my practices probably aren't the best right now. It comes and goes. You know, we're always trying to make our you know self-improvement and all that uh -huh. stuff. It's pretty much, you know, I get up, I spend some time with the pups. You know, uh, I've got a little miniature Sharpay named Mia my little cutie she's a little mush ball uh all wrinkles in love loves food loves car rides that's it i think dogs have it all figured out um so you know her make sure they're they're fed have my coffee and i kind of come in i start i really just jump right in work it's probably not the best thing to do you know um but that's generally what it is it's been i get up i you know get the dogs out go outside a little bit come in, make my coffee, make sure they're fed. And I usually just start kind of working on emails, checking social media. And that's where my day goes. Start your day. You know, I mean, I, I will say when I was probably, it's funny how we can say when I was at my best or when I felt <laughs> I was at my best, um, I have lots of things that I enjoy reading like daily, daily practices. Um, I love quotes. Um, I'm a big reader. I, um, I used to get up and I would read things every day, you know, things just about self-care practices or just wellness, um, spirituality. And I feel that that's a great way to do, um, you know, to kind of set your mindset for the day. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I do enjoy doing if I'm having a bad day and this may not happen in the morning, it could happen anytime, but. I learned this a long time ago and it stuck with me just to write a gratitude list. It seems simple, right? Um, or maybe not a big deal, but when you sit down uh, and you actually start thinking about all the things you have to be grateful for, especially when you, when you consider how bad things could be mm -hmm. and you look at maybe the state of the world, just everything that's going on. It's just, there's so much suffering. And here, you know, like, for example, here I am with the roof over my head. 
I have access to food. I have access to running water and electricity and clothing. I'm safe. I have my pups, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I have a job. I have multiple jobs, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, and I'm okay. And I also, I have a sense of wellness. It's not perfect. There's so much more I could be doing. There's weight I could lose. There's health things I could work on, you know, but I'm okay. And I know damn well, I worked pretty hard to get to this point in my life. A lot, a lot of what I have has come very hard earned. I wasn't handed much in life, you know. I did have a good family though. Just my 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 parents were are very supportive. We don't have a large family. I don't have a big family to to lean on or anything, but my mom and dad were good parents and they took care of me and they made me feel loved and they encouraged me to learn and, and to try new things. And I've all, I will always be grateful for that. And my mom's still a huge part of my life. She's been there for me through all of this. She's given me countless rides to detox, treatment, meetings. Um, she's been very supportive, even work. You know, when I first started doing internships and didn't have my license, she was there. Um, so yeah, what, what, I, what a blessing. Well, and you and you know, oh, it's it is it is literally impossible to feel any negative emotion and gratitude at the same time. Absolutely, it's and that's what it's I impossible. Lean on gratitude. Yes, it's yep. impossible. That as much as it irritates the ever loving shit out of me when I call <laughs> my sponsor and I'm in a nine one one. Whoa, always me. Everybody hates me. Nobody loves me. Kind of mood. She's like, "Tell me three things you're grateful for," and I'm like, "Oh shit!" She knows the trick. She gets you. Yep. <laughs> uh, air, air, water, and um jelly beans. I mean, I just pull something out of my butt and she's like, okay, how do you feel now? And I'm like, crap. Okay, fine. Uh, then I, then I really start thinking, okay, what am I grateful for? You know? Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, her first thing is who can you help? Who can you call right now? It yeah. ain't about you get out of yourself. So true. You know, so true. I know. Cause I don't want, it's, ew, that's a dangerous, I was talking to another alcoholic addict the other day. That's a dangerous uh, neighborhood to go in, in my head after, especially yeah. after dark and by yourself. Don't do it. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a good place. So I try to stay out of there as much as I can. Cause when I get in there, I'm in danger. I'm in Absolutely. huge grave danger. So I, I just love you and thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to me. I'm grateful that you, that you took the time out of your day to do that. I'm grateful that, that you took the time to have me here. Thank you. And thank you for all you're doing and just, you know, um, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of different podcasts out there and there's people who are just, I think the most important part is that you're taking time out of your life to connect with other people and just to share that with the world. And that's so important. Mm -hmm. You know, these conversations are very important. Connecting with other human beings or it's just, it's everything. Well, and um, just trying to be that hope, no matter, you know, if, if, if one, and I've said that this, this whole podcast thing has just been, if you haven't heard the story, I, I think I told the whole story on that first episode where I introduced myself. Um, but it's, it's just, it's been a God thing. And I've had very little to do with that outside of just showing up and talking to new friends, you know, about things. Yeah. It's easy to talk about what, you know, um, That's you know, right. and if it, if it reaches one person, then, you know, it, every single effort has just been so worth it. 
so worth yeah. it. So have a what very a have a very blessed day. Um, and maybe I can you. get Happy you on Halloween. sometime soon. You as well. Uh, have <laughs> you on sometime soon? Maybe we do a we do a pull a topic out of a out of a jar that um, they're all. Oh, topics. I love that. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah, I know it gets kind of it gets kind of <laughs> interesting. So anyway, <laughs> I'll reach out to you. But have a blessed day, Leah. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you, love. I appreciate it very much. All right. Bye bye, sweetie. Bye. Thanks for listening to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Keep coming back. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.